This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. What a great day. I had a wonderful weekend, and last week uh, was awesome. We started the, or we had, I shouldn't say sorry, we, we had the Tackling the Text Workshop, the seventh annual workshop, starting on Thursday night last week. It ended Friday night, and most people left, and we went to Saturday morning just to give people a chance if they wanted to sleep in and then leave the next morning. And what a great time, what a great fellowship, what a great opportunity to get into God's Word. We were looking at Hebrews chapters 8 through 13, and Guy Orbison did a wonderful job of showing us his study of those chapters and, and bringing to mind some things that, you know, it's easy to read over things quickly and miss little things. And that's one of the great things about these studies is that you really focus in on some things that when you're reading, you just kind of read it and think, oh, I've read this before, and you don't think about it. But when you're going slowly and you read slowly and you study slowly, you, you, some things come out that you've never seen before. And I, I had that uh, happen for me, and a lot of folks did. And Guy said he had that same thing happen to him while he was preparing for this workshop. And what a blessing. If you want to know more about those workshops, uh, feel free to let me know. I, I haven't posted anything on the website, tacklingthetext.com, but I need to. I need to get on there and uh, set up an ordering for the notebooks. And maybe put an email address up there so you can email me and let me know if there's anything you would like. But what a great opportunity. So that was the seventh one. So we've done, let's see, the very first workshop we did was Ephesians back in 2013. Then Galatians. Then we took a look at, let's see, it's, uh, 13, 14, first 2015. Oh, then we did Romans chapters 1 through 8, Romans chapters 9 through 16, the book of James. Hebrews 1 through 7 last year, and then this year, Hebrews 8 through 11. Next year, we're going to do November 5th and 6th, I think it is. That's the Thursday and Friday there in November. And we're going to be doing the Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's going to be another great study, and we're looking forward to that. If the Lord blesses us not only with the time, but opportunity to get into those things, and the, what a blessing that will be. And I pray to the Lord he will give us that opportunity. Okay, now we're back to the radio program. We're still in the book of Revelation. I've been getting a lot of good comments about this when I was at the workshop. You know, it's it's hard to know if anyone listens to this, but I had a, a few guys come up and tell me that they do listen and they appreciate it and talking about this Revelation, I, and I had to let them know. I, I don't think I've mentioned it in every program, but I'll, I have once or twice. I'll do it here. I'm using Guy Orbison's notes from 1998. Now, these are, you know, people change their mind, and I've also added my own thoughts and illustrations here and there. But that's kind of the rough outline I'm following because I don't want to get into a lot of the stuff that you see in the commentaries that kind of go, I think, too far in a lot of things. I also don't agree with the Roman idea. I think Revelation is intended for not only the readers of John's time, but for every generation, this applies to us to let us know that it may look like we're losing. 
yeah, the, in the worldly standards, it, it looks bad. But we've won. If you're in Christ, we won. God wins. Just keep on keeping on. Hang, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> hang tough. And so we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 13. And chapter 13 is an elaboration on what we looked at last week. If you go to our website, www.nbcoc.net, click on that radio program. You can listen to last week's program on chapter 12 and all the previous chapters we've done. And this is uh, this week's is going to be an elaboration on 12, 13 to 17, showing Satan's effort to destroy Christianity. And two allies are employed by the dragon, by Satan. You're gonna, we're going to read about the sea beast and the land beast. And these are corresponding to those two witnesses of chapter 11. Those are the ones that are preaching the word. And we get into more detail on that in chapter 11. Go back and grab that. And it's going to be corresponding to that. So those two, remember, they, they were dead in the city. And the people were, were glad they didn't have to listen to them anymore. And that's just... Uh, the world trying to silence the gospel, the speaking of the word. But then they come alive, and they're taken up into heaven. But you go back, chapter 11, and uh, listen to that. You'll catch up there. But let's start here with the sea beast. This is going to be verses 1 through 10 of Revelation 13. Let's read the section. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power in his throne and great authority, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a month, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who, was, who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. All right. The sea beast. So verse 1, the beast is coming up out of the sea. Um, the sea represents nations here and their governments. I, I get that from Isaiah chapter 17, Daniel chapter 7. And this sea beast symbolizes the persecuting power of Satan embodied in all the nations and governments throughout history. Uh, a lot of scholars uh, prefer to point to Rome as the specific nation in mind. 
And certainly Rome would fit this description of the beast. But if I'm right, that the 42 months from verse 5 is referring to the Christian age, then the Roman interpretation is too limited. We we must be able to point this to any nation that is like Rome in that it fights and speaks against the things of God. And I think that's, that's correct and accurate. Perhaps you will see that too. Diadems. Um, these were on the horns. It's the sim- horns are the symbol of power, uh, rather than the heads, the symbol of intelligence and planning. It was on the dragon. That's also chapter 12, verse 3. And this beast is not Satan, but he possesses the ruling power of darkness. So he acts with the authority of Satan. So ultimately, what it's saying here is that Satan is behind this anti-Christian movement in the nations. There's ten. The number 10 is the full complement of nations. It's the complete amount. And the vision is just uh, is of just one beast, but it represents all, the completeness, all the nations posed against Christianity. You got the phrase blasphemous names. This beast does not consider sacred the things of God. And so it blasphemes. That's speaking against. Verse 2, you got the leopard and the bear's feet and the lion. A leopard is a cunning, quick, springing upon his prey. It bears feet, you know, can embrace and crush. The lion's roaring, is terrifying, rips people apart, the victims. The statement that the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority shows who's behind the beast. Satan employs nations in his effort to wipe out Christianity. And that makes sense because of the authority given to the governments. And so he's uh, misusing the things that God has given us. Verses 3 and 4, one of the heads is fatally wounded. Uh, This seems to refer to a particular nation in a specific time frame and probably does refer to Rome. The wound occurred when Christ was resurrected and ascended to glory. It was a victory for Christianity, but not the final victory. The beast recovers and its evil efforts continue. The world admires the anti-Christian power and runs after it in admiration or maybe fear because of what happened because it looks invincible, doesn't it? So they worship the dragon. Accepting evil and promoting what is opposed by God is ultimately serving the cause of Satan. The world takes the easy way out, not putting up a fight. Everybody's doing it, right? It's similar to the attitude of who is like the beast and able to wage war against them. Yeah, everyone else is doing it, so let's let's just go this route. And if you have the attitude that you can't win, you give in. You give up. Boldness comes from having strength on your side. Here they are bold to oppose Christ. Now look at verse 5. You get those words, uh, or the word given uh, speaks to, again of an authority behind the beast. <clears throat> He's got arrogant words, blasphemy. He boasts of, uh, uh, of his own greatness, his great opposition to what is good and righteous, speaking against it. There's the 42 months in this verse. That's the entire Christian age. Uh, l- listen to the last couple of episodes on chapters 11 and 12 to get more uh, comprehension on that. <clears throat> uh, verse 6, blasphemies. Again, opposing God's standard. Just look out in the news today, the headlines, and see how sin and corruption are not only allowed, but promoted by nations and governments. And it just gets worse and worse every year. Now, don't think that when you were looking out there, oh, this must be it, God. Jesus must be really close. 
Every generation runs into this. This is nothing new, nothing new under the sun here. It doesn't mean that Jesus is coming at the end of the year or it's closer and uh, it's like a couple years away. We don't know. It could be a thousand years away. But all these things are signs that we are in the last age. So, yeah, Jesus can come at any moment. It could be right after this program's over. <laughs> it could be right now. It could be tomorrow, next week, next year, 10, 20, 50, 100, or 1,000 years from now. We don't know. But we are in the last age. And that's what we need to, to understand and see here. Verse 7, overcome them. The beast will go like the gospel into all the world in an attempt to conquer the saints. That's Christians. Christians. Now, does overcome mean physically uh, and point us to martyrdom, or does it refer to winning their souls back to Satan? It's a good question. Don't know. I, I think it's, it could be both. Christians under the pressure of the world often are intimidated and give in. The fear of death enslaves. We've been studying the book of Hebrews at Tackling the Text, and, and it's all about that. It, here's some some Christians who are not necessarily, as some teach in Hebrews, that they're not going back to Judaism. I'm sure maybe some. But these are Christians who are, who are being persecuted, and they're giving up. They're thinking it's not worth being a Christian for the persecution. And they're not recognizing what they're giving in, like Esau in chapter 12. What a great study we had in tackling the text on that. Where uh, Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup of red stuff. And the uh, application there that the Hebrew writer wants his readers and us to see is that don't give up what you have, your birthright that God has given you for a bowl of soup, for just a few moments of, of of pleasure here in this here and now world. It's a limited time. It's a short period of time. It's a vapor, uh, just here and gone. And you're giving it. You're getting that for and giving up eternity with the Lord. You're giving up your birthright, like Esau, for a cup of soup. How silly and ignorant is that? Don't do that. And uh, or where was I? Overcoming. So now next there in verse seven, authority over every tribe seems to show the worldwide authority and efforts of this satanic ally. Satan has his hand in all the nations. He's recruiting all those in possessions of power to serve him. So he's got authority there. and He's convincing these other nations to come along with him in, the, in these uh, directions. Uh, we have a guy, uh, Not. I'm going to get a little political, but even though I don't think Trump is a morally great person, but what, he sure is trying to bring this country back in the right alignment here. And the Attorney General Barr, I read some things about him of what he spoke up about at uh, the University of Notre Dame. Um, and his words, and not, not saying that, you know, hey, we all need to be Catholics, or he's not saying anything like that. He was just simply talking about this country was founded on Christian principles. And freedom works when people govern themselves with a good moral law like what is found in the Bible. It was like, read, when I read through that, and I encourage you to find what his that transcript about Attorney General Barr's statements at Notre Dame and read that. It reads like the Founding Fathers. He's right. And that's why they're attacking him in this administration because it's moving more toward a Christian ideal, idea base than previous. And so Satan's attacking them. 
He doesn't want this country to go back in that direction. He wants control of it, and he doesn't want to lose it. So expect the fight to never end. So we got to fight. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Verse 8. Here a distinction is made between those who dwell on the earth and Christians. Those whose name has not been written in the book of life are people who live only for the here and now. They honor Satan, and they don't honor God with their lives. Now that phrase, that, that part where it's from the foundation of the world, that's the beginning of time, God has always known those who belong to him. He doesn't force anyone. He does not say, well, you're saved and you're not, and there's nothing you can do about it. He just already knows what we're going to choose. Our choices are based on how we accept or how we react to the good news, the gospel. We either reject it or accept it. If we accept it, then we're going to act upon that. And that's a whole, a whole other study. Verses 9 and 10 here on the sea beast. The ear. He who has an ear, let him hear. The ear is the spiritual faculty of understanding and compliance with the message of God, the gospel, the good news. This is a favorite saying of Jesus. If you got an ear, boy, you better listen. Uh, verse 10, you got captivity. Perhaps the captivity of persecution, again, against Christians. Uh, those who kill with the sword, that's the persecutors, and perseverance of the faith of the saints there from the perspective of God. Captivity and martyrdom does not affect those who have been written into the book of life since the foundation of the world. Genuine Christians will be identified by their perseverance and faith in dealing with the persecutions. Non-genuine saints, that is, just churchgoers or Christians in name only, will be overcome by the beast. They will give in and they will deny the faith. All right, next uh, half here is about the land beast. Uh, That's going to be verses 11 to the end of the chapter. Let's read that. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast beast, those uh, uh, whose fatal wound was healed, sorry, uh, to worship the first beast whose fatal, was, fatal wound was healed, verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth and, uh, in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark, on their right hand or on their forehead and he provides that and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name here is wisdom let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and his number is 666 okay The land beast, verse 11, like a lamb, 
but not really a lion. He's a beast. Yet he takes on the um, uh, imitative role, imitative role there of a, of a lamb. He looks innocent, but he's actually monstrous. When he speaks as a dragon, he reveals his true nature. The land beast represents the false prophets and the false religions of the world. And that's not to be confused with thinking, oh, that, that must be uh, Islam and the Hindus and uh, whatever. That can also be those who claim to be Christian, but really they lead people astray. It's the same thing. Just like the Judaizers telling the Christians in, in the days of the, uh, the apostles, that, hey, you need to be circumcised if you want to be saved. False. Galatians makes that clear. That's, not, that's false religion. That's, that's these guys right here in uh, verse 11. Verse 12, uh, exercises authority over the first beast. Oof. The two beasts actually work together because they have the same master. We see that happening in the time of Rome. We see this in every generation this happens. It worship, they worship the beast, the first beast. The false religions promote the kind of government that oppose the will of God. In America, we have religions advocating abortion, homosexuality, Opposition to capital punishment. Uh, that's not all, That's not what the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach you to do those uh, uh, those things to oppose capital punishment. God uh, condones capital punishment and uh, is against homosexuality and is against abortion. But we have religions prop up our government for those things. Verses thirteen and fourteen perform great signs. Satan's greatest weapon is deceit. He imitates true miracles. False religions claim to perform miracles and the supernatural workings of God, but it's all a sham. We know that. They make an image to the beast. Both the sea beast and the land beast accomplish the same purpose of Satan, wiping out true, genuine Christianity. When religion does not stand for what God wants, it is giving in to the worldly standards of the nations, causing people to render homage to what the sea beast stands for. Political correctness becomes more important than truth. It is religion falling in line with the world's standards. It gives breath to the image. False religions encourage people to fall in line with the ways of the world. What if every so-called Christian religion stood for truth? Would divorce, abortion, or homosexuality have gained the ground in our society that they now have? No. The image reminds me of the join the church of your choice philosophy promoted by the world. Now there in verse 15, um, uh, as many as do not worship the image of the beast are to be killed. That's a metaphorically. They're killed spiritually. They go after them. Verses 16 and 17. Uh, you get that mark. Uh, verse, chapter 7 and verses 2 and 3 of Revelation, the people of God were sealed, but those in opposition are now marked. This is the mark of his beast name, of his name. That's the beast name. And the number of his name. Let's see chapter 3, verse 17, chapter 15, verse 2. Uh, hand, that's the deeds that we do. The head, that's the thinking in our minds. Uh, it seems that this mark is revealed in a person's conduct and in their thinking. Not a literal you know, branding. Some people thought, social security number, that's the mark of the beast. No, it's not. It's 
This is just a picture. It's an image. It's about our conduct and our thinking. The way we think and behave indicates who we belong to. You got that phrase there in verse 17, that no one should be able to buy or to sell. This refers to the social and economic conditions of Christians under the world's persecution. Today, those who refuse to act in accordance with the worldly standards of the nations may suffer the loss of job or customers. Remember the guy who was the, the Christian baker? Is that Colorado? He's getting sued because he didn't make wedding cakes for a gay couple? Hello? <laughs> That's right. And they can do that, but Christians can't sue gay couples or groups like that, can they? But we can be forced to take take them on it, and, and we can be forced to perform uh, marriages for them. That's what they want to do. That's what the whole hate speech uh, law that they want to pass is all about. Shut up those Christians. Don't let them speak against the things we promote. But this isn't a sign that all oh, is coming right now. This is a sign from every generation to show that we are in the last age. Satan's trying to stop it. Verse 18. 666. This is uh, uh, tough. There are many scholarly approaches. Perhaps your opinion is as good as anyone's, but many apply the number to Rome or to specific emperors. Others say it's the Catholic Church or specific popes in their history. I think it's just simply the mark of man. Man was created on the sixth day, right? And no matter how many uh, time, how hard we try, we will never equal God. No matter what we do in our human way of doing things, we will never be good enough to be like God. And that, I think that when you try to do it your own way, you're not doing God's will, which is seven. Seven is a four plus three. Uh, or four being the four corners of the earth, three being the Godhead. You don't think I said that God's will for man on earth. So if you're a six, you're doing your will and not God's will. And no matter how many sixes you put after that, you will never equal out to God's will. Well, that's just my thoughts and opinion there. But I hope this is encouraging. I hope you see what's happening here. And I'm running out of time, but we'll pick this up in chapter 14 next week. Study it out. Read. Find the truth and be a genuine Christian. Don't give in. Keep on keeping on for the Lord. Thank you, folks. And have a blessed day. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.